You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 27th of January 2020 on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View with me, Emma Nelson. A very warm welcome to today's programme. Coming up... You need to know what has happened. When you say sorry, you also need to know why you are saying sorry. That means education from school, college, understanding the gravity of it. My guests, Somnath Batabayal and Tim Marshall, will discuss the marking of 75 years since the liberation of Auschwitz and whether historical apologies hold any weight. Plus the looming deadline for Brexit in the UK. Monocle's contributing editor Andrew Muller looks ahead to the end of an important week. Get Brexit Done will be recalled forever as a masterpiece of political copywriting. A brisk, straightforward pledge of decisive action. I'm Emma Nelson. Monocle's House View starts now. And welcome to today's programme. I'm joined by Somnath Batavel, who's a lecturer at the School of Oriental and African Studies at University of London, and also by Tim Marshall, editor of The What and The Why.com, and author of Shadow Play, Behind the Lines and Under Fire, among other books. Welcome both gentlemen to the studio. Now, they are getting fewer and fewer in number, but several of those who survived the Nazi extermination camp of Auschwitz have gathered to mark the 75th anniversary of its liberation. This weekend, the Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, issued his country's first apology for the Netherlands' failure to stop the deportation of thousands of Jews. Somnath, let me begin with you. What do we think of this apology? An apology is always good. Um, And... um I mean, I think I mean, there's a psychological need and assuaging hurt. And I mean, this goes beyond hurt. But there, but behind every apology, there is also other political things which might, when, when we're talking in such huge, you know, the calamity which uh, of the 1930s and 40s, um, what must go along with it is education. Um, you need to know what has happened. When you say sorry, you also need to know why you are saying sorry. That means education from school, college, understanding the gravity of it. And the second thing, which is as important, is never again. Once you know, then you say that this cannot happen again. And again, world over, the kind of turns we are seeing, and this is a huge leap I'm making, we're seeing 1930s return in many ways. So this is an important moment to understand and work through. And especially as an Indian living in Britain, I mean, uh, the the stories that I have of people not knowing is just intense, you know. Um, Just the other day, I'll give you a quick example. The Penang Bridge, the bridge on the River Kwai, 13,000 Englishmen died in it, 90,000 Indians and Burmese. The film made mentions nothing. Six million Jews, yes, under Hitler. Same time, 1941, three million in Bengal famine. No one talks about it. The biggest man-made famine ever under Churchill. You know, so we just don't know. British schools don't teach um, about the colonial history. Uh, we'll come to the idea of how you make sure that young people are made aware of news and how we make sure that stuff, that things like Auschwitz can never, ever be revisited. But first, um, Tim, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about the idea of when you have... A Dutch Prime Minister standing up and saying, we did not do enough to stop the Jews from being deported. One of the questions that you're bound to ask is, 
In what circumstances could the Dutch at that time have actually stood up to their occupiers and said, we're not going to help you? There's the issue of being caught in an, in an agonising moment that you have no control of. Denmark was occupied and um, not immediately, but eventually the Danish government and uh, various bodies within it were told, right, here's the list of all the Jews in your country, go and round them up. Before it was made official, the Dutch government, which was occupied, got word out to everybody and overnight got the vast majority of the uh, Danish Dutch, uh, uh, Jewish population to the coastlines and got them across to Sweden. They saved nearly all of them. Now, it's harder for the Dutch because of their geographic location. Nevertheless, the Dutch train system worked perfectly to deport everybody. The Dutch government civil service, which chose to serve under the Nazis, you could have resigned your position and driven a taxi. Well, not easy. I'm not saying, you know, I don't know what I'd have done. But, but that's, that's why you can make the argument that the Dutch did not do enough. Their civil service... Uh, willingly, it would appear, oversaw the deportations and consequently Ritter has apologised. The Dutch, from 45 to, I would say, the beginning of this century, was something in denial about all that. But this century they've, been, they've had a much closer look because the founding myth of the post-war years was that, um, you know, the, 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 the heroic Dutch resistance, who were heroic, but there was no consideration that actually the government cooperated, just as the French government, which was occupied under great pressure, geographically different, but they could have done more. I'll stay with you, Tim, if I may, because I mean, you, have you have reported from conflict zones where mm. terrible atrocities have been committed, and there is that feeling. When you are there, is there any sense that it is not necessarily a normal thing, but it is a, it is a natural consequence of a, of a situation that... A, a, a society or whatever can become more and more brutal without actually having a sense of self-awareness. Yes, because you also end up thinking you might even be on the right side in doing your things because you believe in your cause so much. And also, th there is absolutely a cycle. You did that, so I'm going to do that. Well, therefore, I'm going to do this. And round and round, we, round and round we go. And yeah, people do get caught up with it. I mean, I, 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 I was with soldiers in Syria who would laugh and joke about killing people, including civilians from the other side, because it was the right thing to do so they yes people are caught up on it but it doesn't excuse it and it, nor does it excuse looking for justice so uh, does, afterwards so does an apology help us um keep things at the front of our thoughts i mean you mentioned the idea of so many um events that have taken place within the last century somnath yeah. which no one really talks about now mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I just wanted to mention to Tim was, you know, most of these events were legally mm -hmm. sanctioned. This yeah. is the problem. You know, in India, this, the brutality of the government at the moment on Muslims is enormous what's happening in Kashmir. But they're all legal. Well, and they indeed, it, within India, the proper, if I, for want of a better phrase. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So, you know, one must learn that the law is not always right and yeah. there has to be a resistance you know in the, what happened to the jews was sanctioned by the german government it, it, it was legal in that <laughs> sense uh, so yes and i mean you, of course coming back to your question what does an apology do um, it refocuses it brings into brings it back in our minds and again tells us 
that um, this has happened, the enormity of it ha- has happened, and, and mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, you accept it, you learn from it, and you learn how n- this should not happen again. Do, yeah. do we learn yeah. from it, though? I mean, I'm just thinking of a couple of, of um, apologies from the from recent history. Yeah. Uh, David Cameron's uh, David Cameron's apology for the Bloody Sunday, yeah. the events of Bloody Sunday. It was a recognition of past events, but it. I don't know how much it's contributed to any sense of healing or reconciliation. And given the fact that I think there's going to be a, a revisiting of divisions, let's say, when Brexit happens. I think it does help. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, Tony Blair um, apologised. I don't know if it was on behalf of the UK or whether he just happened to be PM at the time. I don't know how official it was. For the Irish potato famine. I mean, I th- certainly think there is very much room, at the very least, to, to teach in our schools and all the events that you've just come up with and many more yeah. in that part of the world. Reparations is a much more complicated Indeed. issue because it's much more mixed up with, with many other mm. things. But the actual apology, no. The Australians apologised for the stolen generations, all the Aborigine children yep. that were just lifted up and put with other families. They, they made a formal apology. And I think if, if, if the Aboriginal... Australian citizens want to feel part of modern Australia in 2020, I think that is one of many things <coughs> that puts them in as equals. Um, New Zealanders uh, apologised uh, to some of the Maoris. The USA apologised to the American Japanese that were interned. I mean, there's lots of other things that haven't happened. Japan apologised for World War II, its conduct in, in China. But you can get much more complicated. Let me give you two quick examples. Should Turkey apologise for the Armenian genocide? A, they don't admit it took place. B, and this is the more important point, it was under the Ottoman Empire. Well, that's not modern Turkey, which was formed in 19, after yeah. the genocide. And another one, should Nigeria apologise for 400,000 people it murdered? Uh, I think it was the Igbo people in Biafra. In the, in the war in the mid-60s when they wouldn't let these people go. Should they apologise? It's within their own country. It gets complicated. It gets complicated, but also the apologies, in some respects, solve one problem, but don't help us to learn to avoid repeating history, do I mean, they, Somnath? I mean, I just mean, look at what's it, happening now in, in Myanmar. Yeah, true. Without, I mean, as I said, I mean, an apology by itself will go only this far. But it's a psychological thing. But without education and educating children... From the, I mean, see, one of the things Germany has done very well is an enormous amount of educating what happened through the you know, First World War, Bismarck, and post that in their schools so that it doesn't happen again. We haven't, we do not have this in most of the early, uh, the colonial countries. Um, England has failed tremendously. America has failed tremendously. Uh, I am not very sure of how, you know, the Dutch governments have handled it. But generally, lack of education is one of the worst things. And that's why it happens again and again. And is that what is playing into this idea that you mentioned a moment ago about how we are revisiting a 1930s mentality? I mean, just looking at the New York Times this morning, there are issues on one page. There's the art, art, you know, the idea of Auschwitz never again, despite the fact that the Auschwitz survivors are saying, we're not quite sure that never again Works. Is genuinely yeah, yeah, yeah. never I mean, again. I mean, look at what we have done in in, a, in our one of our main parties in England. What's going on in the questions of uh, anti-Semitism? Uh, look at what America is, how and they reflect on migrants at this point of time and what their president's rhetoric is on people who come from us uh, who are not American citizens. So never again. Um, I don't think has you know is part of our general psyche now. And the idea of 
how these things start when you when you decide that you know th- th- this generally comes from economic crises doesn't it and you can start blaming your neighbor or the person down the road and then suddenly you get divisions and this that and the other and we've seen an awful lot of it recently haven't we tim the idea that quite a lot of politicians play on populism Mm. not perhaps fully believing it themselves but knowing that they'll get a vote economics has a role i'm not sure i think it's often culture uh, and religion uh, flow into it but yeah uh, at times of division uh, when we divide, politicians are tempted to also divide and say, well, that's my bigger base vote, so I'll just go there. And, and I think there, there is an element of that. Um, and, and I, but it's not just politicians. I mean, the migration flow into Europe is fueling uh, division and, and, and resentment and I think is directly behind the rise of the extreme right. I mean, in places like France, you got a 34% in the presidential election for the National Front candidate. Um, I don't think they would have got as high as that if the migration issues, and I'm not making a case for or against them, they just simply are a fact. And I think they are the direct relation. Quickly going back to this thing about education, the British still have Uh, And I'm far from a bleeding heart liberal, far from it. But I am also educated enough and have read enough to realise, A, the British still have this, well, we wouldn't behave like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, know, that was the Germans and the Japanese, you know, this idea... It's always someone else's fault, right? Now, famine, it's awful, but it's, it's different to, well, our troops and our civil service. But, yeah, we behaved appallingly in many parts of the world and I think the education Jim, 1941 that, Bengal famine is a different man-made story from Churchill's uh, war cabinet yeah and then we got <laughs> I don't know if they set out to kill three million I, but no they, they didn't yeah but but the fact is, it happened. And no one stopped it. And we don't know about it. Food shortage. I mean, I can yeah. go on under that yeah, one yeah. <laughs> another time there. So, but, so which, is, which brings us back to the education. And it, one of the reasons why, after 70 years, I think anti-Semitism is coming back is also there's a historical memory fades as well, which is why things like today and the anniversaries are so important to actually getting people to understand what and why things happened I mean, and prolonging that understanding. Tim Marshall and Somnath Batabrail there. Thank you very much indeed, gentlemen. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, here's Monocle's Bill Lutie with some of the other news stories we've been following today. 80 people are now known to have been killed by coronavirus in China. Senior members of the country's government have been visiting the city of Wuhan at the centre of the outbreak. And officials have also extended the New Year holiday by three days in an attempt to contain the virus. U.S. Democrats have renewed calls for Donald Trump's former national security adviser John Bolton to be called to testify at the president's impeachment trial. It follows claims from Bolton that his old boss wanted to freeze development aid to Ukraine unless it investigated his political rival Joe Biden. One of the frontrunners to become the next leader of the UK's Labour Party, Keir Starmer, has called for the country to redistribute wealth and opportunity and an end to the monopoly of power in Westminster. Starmer has also promised to address the underlying causes of Brexit. And finally, Billie Eilish has triumphed at this year's Grammys. The 18-year-old won five awards in total, including Best New Artist and Song of the Year. Her album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go?, was recorded in her childhood home in LA, and she became the youngest person to win the award. Back to you, Emma. 
Thank you, Bill. This is Monocle's Houseview. I'm Emma Nelson. And joining me in the studio today, Somnath Batabayal and Tim Marshall. Now, one of the greater challenges is knowing how and where to mark world events while ensuring that what we record now is right. The actor and filmmaker Angelina Jolie has teamed up with the BBC to create a current affairs programme for young people to help them master the news and to spot fake news. Somnath, we are in a world now where, yes, history has always been subject to interpretation and your idea of what happened is, may well be entirely different from, what, from, <laughs> what, from how I remembered it. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, we are in a completely new world now where recording what's happened is such a difficult area. Indeed. Uh, I mean, I think there's a generational shift from our parents' generation and even our generation, Emma, that printed word was gospel and you could get away by saying anything by saying I read it somewhere even yeah. if you can't point so that has completely gone I still gone. do that I'm afraid <laughs> well see the, uh, as I said our generation the younger one <laughs> your son wouldn't um, so um, again I'm sorry to harp on on education so whatever Angelina Jolie does and uh, I hope she does a good job of it there are again two things to do one is of course the technical education which is immense and huge and ongoing and it's a battle the other is moral education, what is right, what is wrong, you know, human rights, globalism, climate change, global justice, absolute justice. These are core areas which people have to know to be able to fight this onslaught of artificial fake news. And is a movie star the right person to do it, Tim? They play a role, no pun intended. Uh, (laughs) They are one of many right people because I do believe you need a bit of publicity and a bit of PR and a bit of magic sprinkle otherwise it becomes a bit dull but behind them, uh, and I'm not saying she's stupid but I'm saying she may not have the expertise in education Um, so it is is very important Um, I I think uh, what happened after the written word is that, oh, well look, the website looks good, it must be all right. there's a bit of that but I think critical thinking, teaching kids, is extremely important for get them to think, um, okay, who said this? Where is it reported? Is it reported elsewhere? Does it look a bit odd? Uh, and if anything, any alarm bells, start checking. And also um, repeating things which aren't sourced. There's a recent example, a little Palestinian kid, very sad, uh, went, went missing, found drowned, out went on social media that Israeli settlers had killed him and drowned him, which is false. But Hanan Ashwari of the PA tweeted it and then apologised for tweeting it. But um, some of the American um, people then retweeted it and haven't apologised. And you've got to have these critical thinking about how you know. And then there's the deep fakes, uh, how to even understand that this might be a fake. We need teaching about it. Yeah, technical education comes in. Well, how do you deal with the idea of spotting deep fakes and what's right and what's wrong when um, we are living in a world where the mainstream media isn't isn't actually relevant to young people? I mean, so few young people are now engaging directly with the BBC that they prefer to get their news from elsewhere and it, it doesn't say anything to them. I mean, elsewhere being the operative word, where do they get their news from? So as Tim is saying, that source from where is it produced who is saying it becomes important but you know just a quick one on ai um, just the other day a young colleague of mine who is into digital media fed my phd thesis and all my scholarly articles into a whatever machine he calls it and out it spun 
scholarly articles which all seem to make sense but actually is nonsense. It's it looks like a journal paper, but it's not a journal paper when you read it closely. There's no way of knowing. The only thing has happened is 20 articles of mine went in and it just spewed it right back. So that is the kind of deep fakes we are talking about. So therefore, technical education on how to spot is also becomes very important. How do you make it relevant to young people, though, Tim? I mean, I'm just taking two examples. The My son goes to a school where there are 30 kids. He's eight years old and he's one of three British kids in there because he goes to a school in central London. So he has a cultural and international awareness bar none. Go up the road 200 miles to my stepdaughter's school. She, it's all white, all local, not many people travel and they're not interested in what happens 20 miles out of their area simply because they they just it doesn't say anything to them it's not relevant well that's partly the national curriculum and also the quality of teaching and i'm not denigrating the quality of teaching but it is part of the national curriculum and i think we should teach civics and i also think we should teach uh, the bengal famine uh, as 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 well um as for the relevancy of the mainstream media i think they need to have more confidence and the message needs to go out that for all its many many faults Actually, it is far more reliable. It is checked. And I I think it will take years and years, but eventually a generation will come up realising a lot of this stuff over here is total rubbish. And a lot of stuff over here is actually far more factually based. But it's going to take a long time. I mean, we need a media studies curriculum in school, which tells you why certain things Look, are, seem to be much more rigorously produced than other. And without that, you, I mean, in today's world, you will otherwise kids will be at a disadvantage, and a massive one. And uh, you, you teach PhD students, so hopefully uh, there's a sort of a, a pretty high level of critical awareness. Do any of your students ever fall for stuff? Oh, regularly, I fall for stuff. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, now now robots read news in on Chinese media, artificial, uh, you know. So you really don't know. And I, I mean, I was shown stuff. So. The, the point being that technically we'll, we are always at a disadvantage and continuous technical education has to be the way forward. And none of us know enough and we'll never know enough. But this is all, this, to circle right back to the beginning, this is part of the divide and the splitting and the tribalism uh, of thinking and politics now. But I, I give talks and sometimes undergraduates actually say you shouldn't say that because it challenges our worldview. They, they, there is this generation growing up that doesn't want to be challenged. That's wrong people have said to me oh yeah even if it's true you shouldn't say it and it, we've got to get past that but it's because we're in this revolutionary time of information i th- i think and hope we'll come out of it uh with trusted large sources and as a final aside the gutenberg press what a wonderful invention do you know that the amount of books on witchcraft saying it was all true that came out once the gutenberg press you know terrible ban it <laughs> Tim Marshall and Somnath Batabayal, thank you very much indeed for joining us in the studio. In a moment, we'll weigh in on the looming Brexit deadline. You're listening to Monocle's House View with Emma Nelson. Stay tuned. This is Monocle's House View. Finally, today, the latest opinion from our editorial floor, where Monocle's Andrew Muller has something to say about the impending Brexit deadline.
By this time next week, the United Kingdom will have formally excused itself from the European Union. This feat will be trumpeted by UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson as delivery on the promise which got him re-elected in December to get Brexit done. Get Brexit Done will be recalled forever as a masterpiece of political copywriting, a brisk, straightforward pledge of decisive action. It is also, however, an illustration of H.L. Mencken's immortal dictum that there is always a well-known solution to every human problem, neat, plausible and wrong. As the next weeks and months and possibly years and decades are about to demonstrate, Boris Johnson has not got Brexit anywhere actually close to done. Ahead lies the infernally complex task of negotiating Britain's new trading relationship with the world, and with it perhaps the dawning of a realisation among Brexit cheerleaders and voters who trusted Johnson to get it done that the anticipated serene ascent to the sunlit uplands might be more akin to climbing the Matterhorn in a scuba outfit. Since the referendum of June 2016, Brexit advocates have seethed and bristled at those who they accused of thwarting them. As of right now, they are out of excuses. For whatever difficulties and drawbacks await, they no longer have reason to blame anybody but themselves. They will, though, of course. For Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Muller. Thank you, Andrew. And that's all we have time for today's show. Monocle's House View was produced by Daniel Bache and Rhys James. Our studio managers were Louis Allen and David Stevens. Coming up at 2000, a brand new edition of Monocle on Culture. Stay tuned for that. And Monocle's House View is back at the same time tomorrow at 1800 here in London. For now, though, from me, Emma Nelson, goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.